Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, on Beef Central's podcast series, one of my favourite subjects, the incorrect or straight-up false labelling of products which tell, if not downright lies, then comprehensive mistruths. That's one of my favourite subjects. I'm talking about plants, of course, in their various guises being described with words and descriptions up until recently used solely for meat. Real red meat, that is. It's a question being asked around the world. What right does a manufacturer have to call a plant-based protein product meat? Writing point in the political sense in Australia on this issue is LNP Senator from Queensland, Susan McDonald. Senator, welcome. You are on the grill. Well, it is terrific to be here, Kerry. It's, a, um, it's very exciting to discuss all things agricultural with you. Well, we were going to talk about fake meat, obviously, first. When did you first get concerned about the, the fake meat world? Well, it was probably even before fake meat, as we started to see dairy terms adopted. I guess we all thought, hmm, there's something not right there. But in 2016, when Sanitarium asked for Zans to make changes to the definition, it really snuck right past industry and lawmakers. And unfortunately, we started to see products on the shelves that were just confusing and misleading people. Uh, and I was terrifically concerned. And, yes. Yeah, shocking, really. You're from a great family, beef producers. Did uh, fake meat ever become a discussion around the family dinner table at that time? Look, I don't know that the meat industry broadly are concerned by competition from this new product, but I think it's important to defend your territory, to defend just the, the, the things that consumers think are reasonable. You know, consumer protection law is about describing things in a way that consumers find easy and understandable, and this was a clear example of that being abused. And it, it is unreasonable that you can put beef, crocodile, lamb, pork on a product when it is clearly not made from any of those things. You took your concerns uh, to Canberra. Was it difficult to get a serious approach to taking in on the uh, false or misleading labelling of plant-based products through using terminology usually common with real meat? No, it wasn't difficult at all. In fact, there was a huge amount of interest and support. Uh, the Senate inquiry... Unfortunately, you know, it coincided with COVID and we weren't able to get out regionally as much as we'd hoped. But from right across the country, um, Senate and House of Reps colleagues, both sides of the fence, could all see that this was uh, just something that was inefficient, uh, a lie to consumers, and that we needed to do something about it. And of course, consumers, Australian consumers across the country, responded in their thousands, this is... Yes, yeah, so I, I, had, I had the view that you poked the bear with this because there was a lot of reaction. Uh, any particular highlights and submissions from uh, the general public or producers on fake meat? There was uh, There is incredible capacity within producers uh, and retailers across Australia, really passionate, clever people who, who provided terrific evidence and, and inputs. I was really concerned by the way that you could have a peak industry body established for the plant-based protein industry 
which when we dug a little deeper, we read their constitution, we found that their one of their three stated aims was to end animal production, wholesale animal production. Good heavens. So, you know, we have to be really clear that whilst they were very professional uh, and, and remain very professional and organised and, and slick, their objectives are not compatible with uh, co-sharing the space with animal production for, for animal protein, and we have to be clear about that. I was pretty shaken by that to discover just how deep the desire to to end animal production, and this is right across, this is not just red meat, this is all sorts of foods, and also this weird misbelief that you could replace animal production, particularly in Australia, which has you know unique conditions, yes. With with vegetable crops, you could you know have have rangelands, uh, animal production there replaced by you know mushrooms and and uh, broccoli and, and whatever else. So it, it it was it was a little disheartening to to again discover the depth of misunderstanding between the consumer and reality. And you know this is not just for agriculture; it's for mining; it's for a whole lot of sectors. And I think we really have to turn our minds to talking about how the world really works with our young people, with our education system. Yeah, the great divide, we'll, yes, exactly, Susan. The, the great divide mm-hmm. between inner city hipsters and regional and rural Australia. Yes, and I, and I think not for lack of interest or concern, but just a, a lack of good information being provided to them in a way, in a place that they can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we don't turn our minds to it, this kind of thing will continue to happen and, uh, and we will all be the poorer for it. You must have been encouraged, though, by overseas actions against the fake meat. I refer especially to France and to a number of American states which are legislating against the use of fake terms on, on um, protein, plant-based protein products. Well, I am absolutely delighted to tell you, Kerry, that a lot of these legislative changes in other parts of the world were as a result of our inquiry. I know that there were places in the US reflecting on uh, Australia's definitions inquiry uh, in the seafood industry, in the meat industry. And, of course, you've already talked about in Europe where they have clarified that leather must be the product of an animal. Uh, these are important definitions, if only to, to protect consumers from buying something that they didn't think they were buying. But it's also important because... A whole supply chain is only supported when every part of the animal is used wisely and productively and to its greatest possible use. Uh, To have sections of the market carved out uh, and replaced, you know, the way Volvo was replacing leather in cars with, now I'm not sure what you call it. Plastic. uh, Plastic, anyway. Plastic, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's wasteful. Uh, and, and weirdly, it's probably higher emissions than, than by using all yeah. the products of an animal. So there, there's a lot of reasons why it's so important that we get this right. And I think in a world where we're talking about whole foods, about nutrition, about being connected to the earth, uh, this is a time when we should value the work of farmers and graziers and we should um, be applauding the work they do, the animals they grow and the food they grow for us. There, you mentioned that generally speaking, I wouldn't think it's unanimous, uh, you have support across party lines. Uh, I suspect the Greens wouldn't be on side with you. What's, what's the gist of your recommendations that you're taking to the Parliament? Well, uh, there was a range, uh, but primarily and, and most importantly was to get Fazans to review their decision. 
and uh, to return to a meat definition which would realign the domestic market with our export market. Can you imagine if we started packing boxes of eye fillets with plant-based something else? There would be uh, trade wars and, and Australia would lose market shares. Uh, it would not be considered a, an acceptable substitute. So that's the first one. And also using the ACCC and its consumer laws to ensure that packaging is not misleading, that there is appropriate size fonts on describers, yeah. that the words are on the front of the package, not on the back of the package. I was at a, a bar in, um, in Canberra the other day and looking at the menu and I suddenly realised that there were beef in inverted commas, beef patties and all these products that none of them were actually meat. They were all plant proteins, but there was nowhere that really clearly said that. So how, how do we use, how do we get those descriptors that, that translate all the way through onto a menu and remembering that for, for consumers, you know, they're in a rush, they're in a hurry, they just want quick, yes. simple, easy describers. So it's not just packaging in supermarkets, it's, it's right down to the restaurant level. Can I mention the big players, Woolies and Coles, appear to have no shame whatsoever in putting fake meat right alongside the real product and using words like sausage, rissole, steak, mince, etc. And often it's in white printing against a pale yellow background and gee, you have trouble reading it in the in the light of a supermarket. You just can't read it properly. And But it's there if you look hard yeah. enough and you bring a magnifying glass maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm not as concerned about descriptors like um, mince and sausage and steak because they have been used interchangeably for, you know, like you can have a a, a mince pie or a, a you know we know that that's not yes. uh, you know there, there's lots of different descriptions for but uh, using things that don't describe meat I think that's the key is we can't use beef or fillet or yes. you know roast duck. They're all obviously terms that relate to a product that the plant-based protein isn't. But I do think the supermarkets, you know, if, if they, they wouldn't come and give evidence, which I was incredibly frustrated about. I wanted to ask them, what were their markdowns? What were their margins? Where were they? Why were they placing these products so close together on shelves? And I think we have to be clear. Supermarkets make their money, apart from the meat section, in those centre aisles where they get margins from manufactured food. This is just another element of that. And I think it's very difficult for supermarkets to say to their big manufacturing uh, customers who you know, make their high margin products, no, we're not going to stock this line. They are a commercial beast and, and that's fine so long as they're not consume, uh, confusing their customers and they're not uh, selling out their, their long-term supplier base from uh, animal protein products. Is there a is there a time frame, Senator, on introducing legislation to this effect into the Parliament? Unfortunately, Kerry, we lost government, and so that momentum around uh, that kind of agenda uh, has really slowed. But I did speak to the Agricultural Minister the other day. He said that he thought I'd be pleased with the outcome. So I'm optimistic that during this term there might be some progress made. But I continue to raise it. Uh, with Fazans and estimates, continue asking questions because, you know, this is an important topic that we have to get solved before we have a whole lot of these groups 
spend a lot of money on packaging and manufacturing, and uh, and then we tell them they're going to have to scrap it. That's a big business cost, and I would like to see us manage it with more transparency and greater lead times if possible. I'm sure there's a lot more to come on this uh, issue, fake meat. And, of course, we've got fake milk as well, dairy-free cheese, which is laughable. And uh, and all, uh, all this is allowing people to be misled and sometimes substantially, isn't it? Well, and it all goes to a much broader theme, which is that uh, humans can survive, you know, kind of in vitro, that we could have cell-based manufacturing of, of products that uh, humans can, can retreat from engagement with the earth. I mean, that is crazy. That is, that is not how we survive. Uh, I think that it's incredibly important that we bring some reali- reality back to this discussion because humans do best when they eat the foods that we have been uh, genetically programmed to to eat for hundreds of thousands of years. And uh, I'm concerned that we're going to look back at manufactured foods like plant-based protein, like stem-based, stem cell production proteins, and we're going to look at that as a point where human health declined. It was, you know, when when we changed to a much higher sugar diet or a carbohydrate diet carbohydrates diet, uh, when we saw more obesity and diabetes and heart disease. and you know, I think we have to be very, very careful about what we're encouraging people to put in their bodies. And we had a great cardiologist give evidence on exactly this, that even though a plant-based pro- product might have on the packaging that it has uh, the same amount of iron and vitamin B and whatever else, nutritionally, it's not equivalent Our bodies don't take it up in the same way. So, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons why we should care about this economically, nutritionally, environmentally, uh, for all those reasons. This plant-based or uh, meat-based definition is is really important. It's uh, it's a line in the sand. I think when you read the volume of salt that some of this uh, plant-based product, that would amaze people. Time for a break. I'm talking with LNP Senator from Queensland, Senator Susan MacDonald. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Senator Susan MacDonald, LNP Senator from Queensland. She's on about false labelling and other issues affecting regional and rural Australia. There's a lot of chatter about the new rules for pharmacies, which will allow pharmacy clients to get 60 days supply at once instead of 30. 
Why, why is this causing concerns in regional and rural Australia at present? Uh, Kerry, this is, this is um, one of those times when government policy and reality collide. So regional pharmacies, uh, you know, often in 320-odd postcodes across Australia, there is a pharmacist and not a doctor. Uh, we really rely on pharmacists, along with other healthcare professionals, to be our front line. It is so important that we support those businesses to survive in regional parts of the country. Now, the idea of being able to go and get two scripts, two months' worth of scripts at a time, is incredibly appealing to the consumer. It certainly suit me. I could go and get two scripts and not have to worry about remembering next month. But the part that the government is, is being cute on is that their cost savings are that they will not pay the second dispensing fee to the pharmacist. Now, pharmacists, particularly in regional places, uh, they need that, that government dispensing fee to assist them to keep the doors open, to employ staff, to provide a service, uh, in some places to provide longer opening hours, and the removal of that funding, which is what's happening. So the government is taking that funding from pharmacists and putting it into savings. They're saying they're going to pay the money in other ways. There's going to be infrastructure payments. and There's no new money coming through for pharmacists. So I feel absolutely passionately and determined that we cannot let our pharmacies in regional places suffer because this is a Canberra-based decision which makes it harder for them to do business, harder for them to keep the doors open, because they already pay higher costs of transport, um, higher electricity costs, higher insurance costs, and now the government wants to take away uh, this dispensing fee. I think it's outrageous. So it's all about the fee. I assume that it was all about foot traffic into the pharmacy being halved, but it's all about the fee that's being actually cut in half. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, pharmacists do a whole lot more than just provide scripts. As you know, they take blood pressure, they provide vaccinations. Uh, they're now doing a trial into being able to provide scripts for uh, basic medical conditions that you know they might see frequently. Um, these are all great things, particularly in regional places or even city places where it's very hard to get into a GP. And as we spread the, the load across different health professionals. I think that is a great development. But um, this idea that pharmacists, I mean, will now have to carry uh, carry their stock in a different way. We know we've just been through a supply chain. Pharmacists can tell you they've got shortages of important heart medicine, diabetes medicine. Uh, that is all uh, difficult for them to keep on the shelves. And until we understand that, until the federal government understands that, then you know we're making it harder for pharmacists to do business. Let's uh, touch on carbon credits for regional and rural Australia. There is, or there could be, a lot of money here. My mail is the whole carbon credits, carbon sequestration picture needs some severe oversight because, as I say, there's a lot of money. Where there's money, a pot of gold, there's bound to be scams. Should there be some big guru overseeing this enormous picture? Well, Kerry, I think that's a point really well made because there is going to be a huge amount of carbon dollars wandering around. It's important that people understand 
how they can access them. It's important that farmers and graziers can uh, access dollars to replace lost property rights. And it's important that the schemes are well documented and it's not something that later on they've locked in a, a management plan that's not good for their property. There's also a range of different fees. All of these things should be transparent. And I think if you think about the the Gas Fields Commission, the CSG industry, that was a really good example of trying to ensure that there was uh, a single place that everybody could go to, whether it be the, the gas operator, the farmer, the council, and understand what are the payments being made, what's fair, what's reasonable, uh, and that everybody doesn't have to become an expert to access the market. Senator, the, the, I want to touch on the live trade as one of our final questions. The live trade out of the north, I know it's struggling at present and it can't, it can hardly ask for government help. I'm being facetious here. The last time we had government help was way back with Joe Ludwig who stopped the trade. The court case was won against this decision. Yet there's no settlement after all these years. What is going on here? This is completely outrageous, Kerry. So 2011... As we all remember, live export was shut down overnight and it destroyed people uh, emotionally, their livestock, their herds, animal welfare issues and the mental health issues. And the irony of having, just over 10 years later, that same government with many of the same cabinet ministers back in power, sitting at the cabinet table, Talking about the decision about paying out the compensation to the class action is ironic. Uh, And be clear, the government is not acting like a model litigant. There was a lot of work done on providing audited figures on what the damages were for the class action members. Um, You know that the Brett family had received their payout, rightly, but now the rest of the class action had documented their numbers and it's big. It's big. But the government, the, the um, department, has offered one-tenth, one-tenth of that amount. Now, they will tell you that the, the um, class action is being slowed, that, that somehow it's not their fault. But the fault has been identified by Justice Rares as being the government's fault, as being the minister's fault. It's being the Cabinet's fault, Cabinet of of the Gillard Government. So there is no ambiguity about where the the liability lies. And to now try and downgrade the compensation amount to one-tenth, I think, is such a slap in the face for agriculture. It's like the the biosecurity levy that the new Agricultural Minister, Murray Watt, has just put in place. They think of farmers and graziers as the fat cats who can keep paying. Everybody squatters and... um, and they don't see the hard work and the risk and everything else that goes into food production. So So, I think it is outrageous, and we should all be angry, and we should all be asking, how can it be that one person can get a a payout of allegedly up to $3 million for an HR issue in Parliament House within weeks without any legal claim, without any legal settlement decision, and yet our hard-working Northern Australia cattlemen and women, can't get a fair crack at this. After a decade or more, yeah. Shocking. Senator, one final question. Might be a tricky one for you. The voice, good or bad, for regional and rural Australia? 
Oh, it's bad. It's bad. The voice is about enshrining an elite group of people who uh, say that they're going to represent all Australian Aboriginal communities. Aboriginal disadvantage is, from what I can see in North Queensland and Northern Australia, more about geography, lack of access to good healthcare, education, telecommunications, job opportunities, and, and about poverty. And yet enshrining into the Constitution this permanent, divisive, and untested uh, mechanism is, I think, really dangerous. It is not about recognition. It is about enshrining a change to the way our democracy works, uh, which will be bad for all of Australia. If the government was serious about this, if Alvo was serious about this, he would have introduced a referendum that talked about recognition, but he could have introduced the Voices legislation and trialled it. If it was successful, he could have moved to do something with it later. But to put it into the Constitution, to separate one group over everybody else, when we have 11 Indigenous men and women who come to the Parliament uh, to represent all Australians, you know, we have a, a great culture of trying to be very even-handed, of giving people a fair go. And I acknowledge that there is disadvantage in, in remote and regional parts of Australia, but that is not about people being Indigenous. It's about them being poor because they don't have good services, they don't have good health and education, um, and we need to do something more about making sure they have good jobs, not just rangers' jobs, good jobs in the places where they live so that their kids can have the same opportunities that kids in the cities have. It's all about health and education, isn't it, Susan? Susan, great mm. to talk. Um, Senator Susan MacDonald leading the charge against fake meat. Thank you for being on the grill for Beef Central. Thanks a lot, Kerry. Have a terrific day. Thank you for joining me today. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed on The Weekly Grill, email theweeklygrill at beefcentral.com. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.